0: Welcome to the Uncultural Bias Podcast. My name is Attorney Kamara Williams. I am here with some friends. If you remember, on the first part one of the podcast, we talked about uh, a movie, American Skin, and in that one, we actually talked with some friends of mine who were black male fathers, and you know, they were just talking about you know how they felt about the movie. And this time, I actually wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I wanted to get the perspective of black women and how they viewed the movie from their perspective. But an added benefit, uh, I wanted to take apart the movie based off of also an illegal perspective. Um, so we're going to have an interesting conversation. Helping me join this part two of the American Skin discussion is my friend, Alicia Adamson.
1: Woo-hoo. Alicia Adamson, prophet.
0: Okay. <laughs> Yo, first of all, Alicia, <laughs> is this is your first time on... This podcast, right?
1: It is. I'm a little salty because my husband was invited before I was, and I thought that, you know, we um, were friends, but whatever.
0: Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, listen, listen, you you've gotten, you're on the podcast, you know, and so we are happy and, uh, I'm excited about this discussion. And the next person we're going to have on this podcast is our, also our new friend, uh, the sitting state attorney, Monique Worrell. Hello, Monique. You still here? I am. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Now, listen, we got to do something special for Monique because she had just been sworn into the office uh, a few weeks ago. So we're going to give her a round of applause. You (laughs) know? You know, so (laughs) congratulations. That's pretty awesome. Tamara
1: got skills over here with this little keyboard pad he has. I'm (laughs) telling
2: you, but I mean, nothing beats Alicia Adams and profits. Woohoo! I I live for that.
0: I got to get that soundbite. Actually, I'm going to. I want to get (laughs) that soundbite because that is actually a a, that'll be a good one. All right. Um. So again, I thank you guys for joining this podcast. And oh, for those who are listening to part two, just always remember to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Share with your friends. And just, you know, engage in the discussion um, on the comment section, both on KamaruWilliams.com or even on Apple or Spotify. But uh, so we're having this part two and I wanted to just get you guys perspective on this movie. Number one, did you guys like the movie? Yes, you did. I didn't even ask that. I should have asked that prior to (laughs) you Y'all could have just got on here and be like, I hated the movie. And that would have been really awkward.
2: But, um, well, I mean, Like is Relative, right? It was another really sad movie of a killing of an unarmed young black boy. So, I mean, as much as you can like that. Right, Indeed.
1: right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, that's very
0: somber. Yeah, but it's I mean, <laughs> true, it's, it's true, true, yeah. it's true yeah. right? Um, I guess what it, I, I've heard the statement before that it's it's like almost like a, a, a torture porn. In a way, have you heard that statement? Like it's torture porn. Like it, it, it for black people's pain, it's always on this full display, and at some point you become numb to it, right? Um, I don't know where we go with that because, quite honestly, it's still a very real thing that we have to deal with. So, do we not address that in in the medium of film or art, or do we just say, "Hey, there's other stories to talk about"? And this is honestly, this is a really I didn't plan on going in this direction with this discussion, but I just want to get your perspective on both of you.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's important that we continue to, to put out this type of content. As painful and as as um, tragic as it is, it also, I think, is what can push the needle forward. I think that there are different ways that people can adapt to change and learn Um from the systemic racism and the, just the terrible things that are happening in this world and sometimes it takes someone seeing a movie like this to to get the ball rolling um, and so, yeah, while it is torture to watch because for, I mean, I think some people do watch it as entertainment, but I know Monique, myself and you, we watch it and we can relate on so many different levels because it's real life, not just with our families, with our friends and the careers that we've chosen to pursue and the passions that we all have. Uh, so yes, it's painful, but it's necessary.
0: What about
2: you? Monique? You know, I think it's good for awareness. I think it brings awareness to certain subsections of our communities that don't know that this actually exists. Um, I know that whenever any of these movies or documentaries come out, I make it a point to sit my teenage son down um, so that he can see what's happening in places that are not where he lives. Right. Um, But to your point, there is emotional trauma that goes along with it, not just, that we have to see it on the news and then we have to see these videos go viral to be watched over and over and over again. But then there are now movies and documentaries created about these things that are very painful to us um, as African-Americans to see.
1: And what's sad, too, is that it's my understanding that he actually um, premiered this in 2019 and for it to be relevant, as relevant as it was then, as, you know, like right now, today, it's very sad and telling that it's still, in a lot of ways, nothing's changed.
0: Right. It felt like it felt like it was something, a scene that was pulled from January 2021. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. It doesn't Mm -hmm.
0: feel like, well, why are we still talking about this? Right. It still feels very relevant. In um, the previous podcast, uh, I talked about very real feelings of being pulled over and the trauma of having um, a gun pulled out on me and still dealing with that. Even in subsequent, um, you know, traffic stops, you know, I still very much deal with that. And so it's very triggering for me to see something because I I react to it in such an emotional way that I don't know if that's ever going to go away from me. And this I was pulled over seven years ago with this thing and it still affects me and thank god nothing happened
2: right but well i think i think that what you're saying you know brings up a point about the trauma that many african americans feel when they're pulled over whether or not you've had a gun pulled on you the realities of everything that's around you that come up that that Pulsating of your heart that begins, you know, anytime you see the lights flash in your rearview mirror, even if you're not doing anything wrong, even if you're not committing a crime, just the fear that exists because of those law enforcement encounters.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so with that being said, and I, 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 you know, we're, we can talk about certain scenes, but was there a particular scene um, in the movie? That caught you in like you're like, oh my gosh, that's like uh, that struck a chord. Um, I can tell you for me, the scene that I, we talked about this in the previous podcast was where he described it, the filmmaker described uh, the, doc, the, f- the the documentary person talked about what American skin was and how he, he was struggling with that. And that scene really uh, struck a chord with me because I was like, wow, like that's that was a bar. Mm-hmm. You know, what about you guys?
2: For me, it was the point where we actually found out how the son was killed, right? Because that was delayed. The The movie start and we knew that he was killed, but we didn't know how it actually happened. Uh, to see the moment where we saw that there was a cell phone in his hand, where you heard his father pleading with him to put it down, and then you hear the gunshot and you see him fall to the ground and then the father's reaction. Um, that, that all for me was just, Yeah. it's inexplicable really.
1: Yeah. I, I get like, literally not like there's a lump in my throat as you're saying it. Cause it's just makes, it just so makes me sick. Um, so for me, the part in the movie where I, I just pondered a lot was actually when the son, when they were showing the son, a clip of the son alive and um, he was, Talking to his dad about his rights, and the dad was trying to explain to him, like, "Son, yes, you're right. Those are your rights. That is what it says in black and white on this paper. But let me tell you what it's like in real life. You you can't do that. You, you, there are certain things that you can't do. You there are there are different Americas, and this is the one that you live in. And then to know that even though he had that conversation with his son, it wasn't enough. Um, was was just, um, for me, an eye-opening experience, and I I oftentimes, I go and speak um, to, like, um, schools and, like, Boys and Girls Club and just organizations, and I particularly like to speak to young black children and talk to them about knowing their rights, and and I tell them, like, this is your right, this is your right, this is your right. However, at the end of the day, there are certain things that you just cannot do, and if an officer is giving you a command, then you're going to have to follow it, even if you think it's a violation of your rights, and that's when you call me. I'm a lawyer, so I, on the on the back end, I may be able to file a motion on the, on the back end. But in in that moment, um, you 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 have to comply, and that's where that's just that that difficult struggle that I have with as a mom. I have children, I have nephews. Like I know that I'm have I've had and I'm going to have to have these conversations with my children, and it just it's just so sad.
0: It's weird because uh, the dichotomy between how what the rights say on paper and what they are in and, and application is so far, mm-hmm. you know, and we know that as people who are in the, in the bar, who actually have a bar cards and mm-hmm. practice in the profession, and yet we understand the power of the law, but we also understand the powerlessness of the law in a particular situation. Oh, yeah. And that is something that is very striking for me. I, you know, I, I was – as, as you were talking. I was thinking about the father is essentially telling his son, "Listen, your humanity is more important than your integrity mm-hmm.
1: and your intelligence.
0: And your intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Your humanity. I need you to be home. Mm-hmm. We can talk about this, mm-hmm. you know. And I need you, but we, can, but and I, but your integrity. I know your integrity. Be like, no, I'm standing up for my right. I'm gonna say what I need to say right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yo." Yo, I, that's cool, but I I need I need you home with me, mm-hmm. you know. And there, there, that was the anger, the, even the frustration when he was describing to his father, his his son. There was an anger. There was kind of like a, like he was angry not at his son, but the, the frustration that he has to even have that conversation with him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was telling. What, go ahead.
1: And I would I would imagine it just it just paralyzes you as a parent because you you, you we want to raise our children to be independent thinkers to seek out knowledge to read and gather their own ideas. And then they come to you reading and you're proud of them, like, oh, wow, you're you're sitting here reading statutes. Like, yeah. that's every, like, mom's dream, right? Right. Um, but now I just, it, it, it's like to feel so helpless to tell your child that, like, there's some things I can't do to protect you. Mm-hmm. This you're just gonna have to do what I say at this point. I I know it goes against what makes sense. I know it goes against what you're reading. Um, and, and I would imagine that 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 anger that that father was feeling was also just that. It's just a situation that you cannot protect your child from, and how how helpless that feels.
0: Yeah. What about you, Monique?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I have a 15 year old who I've taught. The laws who I've taught what his rights were, you know, since he was young and he used to go to legal conferences with me. And then to have to get to a place where you recognize that that's what it says on paper. But in actuality, that's not what it really means. And the exercise of those rights by you could end your life.
1: And I don't know if you, I, I, I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen to you. I would imagine you have um, as all being at, at least at some point in your life, criminal defense attorneys. But I get calls from people um, that are on the scene with law enforcement yeah. and they're like, I'm gonna call my lawyer right now. Mm-hmm. And they call me and I pick up the phone and they're screaming at me like, I got my lawyer on the phone. I'm yeah. like, listen, I'll stay on the phone, but comply. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, a, and I my—I mean, my heart is just racing um, when it's happening, because I know there's just so many raw emotions that are happening in that moment. But, like, it, it is it is a very real thing that happens, and it's, um, it can cause trauma for sure.
0: So you know what I tell people? And this is really, because the same thing has happened to me. Mm-hmm. I tell them, and it's so raw, but they don't, I say, listen, if they're going to arrest you, you're going to arrest you. You can't argue your way out of getting arrested. I'm just, I'm sorry. So what you're going to have to do is just accept it, take it, and we'll deal with the aftermath. But shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Don't admit to anything. But you can't, you're not gonna talk your talk your way out of getting arrested if they have it in their mind to arrest you. And that's the that's the harsh reality of it. Reality. Yeah. You know? Um, and they don't like to hear that at the time because you're like, they're amped up, it's emotional, but they're like what do you? What do like, I got to? I called my lawyer for it. Like. Call you, you know, you ain't doing nothing, man. What? What? What am That I, is not what we expected. What am I imaginary paying you for? <laughs> you know, because they, they haven't paid me at that point. They're just calling me. What did I imaginary you know flex on this officer for? If you ain't going to tell me what I needed to hear, um,
1: I, I want to talk. I'm, I'm sorry. No, sorry. Want to talk about another part of the movie yeah. that that actually stood out to me and which surprised me was um, because, and I think a lot of, obviously, c- cops and law enforcement officers get really um, bad reputations um, when movies like this come out. Uh, and there, the, part, the part where, and I can't remember his name, the officer that actually shot his son, when he had to call his wife and his child, and at the, when he did, I got emotional in that part of the movie too because I'm like, oh my God, like he's somebody's, dad and he's somebody's husband and so like I felt a a bit in my you know in my mind like this is the villain as I'm watching this movie and as I watch real life but then I started to feel empathy for the officer in that moment which just kind of caught me off guard a little bit Um,
2: Eh. I did I I think that's great though I think that's great though Alicia because what we need is more and not less humanity yeah so we need more and not less humanity because if we ever have any hope of saving the human race we need for more people to say i can empathize with that position mm-hmm. because if we can't then we're never going to be able to get to a common ground where we can see each other as human beings that's
0: so true so i'm gonna go in the opposite direction i felt the ways about that scene but this is my hardness of my heart because i felt like oh okay sure now, when you're, put, you're placed in, and which is the message, right? But now, when you're placed in a situation where you have to feel the suddenness and the, the uh, of like some your, your impending death, now you're like, I get it now. And I'm like, why do we have to, why do you have, we have to, uh, you have to be subjected to pain to understand pain? Like, I don't have to be a woman to understand that sexism is, sexism is real, right? I don't, I've never been subjected to what women have to go through. To know that, okay, well, that's a real thing. And I think that is my my problem. And I know that's not, that's not nothing to do, it has nothing to do with nothing. But I just, that's what I felt about it. I was like, oh, okay, so, you know, I hated that he had to go through that in order to feel the humanity of us. Like, why do you, do you have to go through slavery to understand the, human, the inhumanity of slavery? Do you have to go through the Holocaust to understand the inhumanity of the Holocaust? I don't. I I think the
2: reality of our history shows us that you do go. I think the reality of our history shows us that until people can put themselves in the shoes of those who are being oppressed, that they cannot empathize with that oppression. Yeah, that's true. And
1: I and I think that's where like the 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 movie um, the name of the movie American Skin comes in. It's because these officers. In, in this particular case, did, did they just, aren't, were not relatable. It's like, I can't put myself in your shoes. I just can't. Like, we are different. And I think the, the title of the movie is saying we all have American skin, but these officers don't act accordingly. Mm-hmm.
0: So the, it, So essentially what I'm hearing is that the inherent flaw within the human psyche that in order to feel empathy, we must go through the same situation.
1: It's I wouldn't say you have to go through it. I think that going through it is a f- surefire way to relate. But if you don't go through it, then you have to be intentional. That's true about relating. And some people aren't intentional about mm-hmm. it, and it's just because you have your own real life stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So like while you're using yourself as an example to say that I didn't have to I don't have to be a woman to be subjected to sexism to 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 realize that it's wrong. There are a lot of people who aren't like that. Good people, but they just because they can't relate to it and they don't take the time and the intentionality to to understand why. And I would I would just push back on you a little bit, and I would say that you've gotten a little bit more defensive of sexism after having daughters.
0: That's fair. No, mm, I got mm. uh, yeah. Mm. You, you, you pulling the friend card? I'm gonna go ahead and
1: say yeah. That's
0: yes. that's fair. I'm, that's fair. <laughs> that's that's fair. But it, I. I I'd also would say that it's, it would came with a sense of maturity and understanding having better relationships with people like you. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, but I'm saying, like, because... He just
1: doesn't want me to tell you where the bodies are, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> <I, laughs> <I, laughs> Paying me this nice compliment.
0: <laughs> but, no, I'm serious. Like, I, I, what I... Okay, so let me, let me just kind of ride in that one. So, the, for me, I really under, started to understand women when, and this is going to be dishonest, when I wasn't trying to sleep with them, mm-hmm. right? When I was just really trying to just be friends with them and understand, like, the way they think. And then it was like, okay, I see where there's... there's I see the entire scope of the being. I didn't have to go through what they were going through to understand it. And, I, and so, to my point is, to alleviate a lot of that is having genuine friendships and relationships with people mm-hmm. and in you know, and actually... Involving yourselves in people's lives mm-hmm. and the way they think in order for you to, un- to, relate, to relate. I don't want you, if you're a white person, to have to like go through oppression to feel oppression. Mm-hmm. I just want you to be my friend mm-hmm. and, sure. and feel that. And, and based on my, our relationship, mm-hmm. you'd be like, you know, I get Kamara and I get where he's coming from with stuff. You know. and,
1: I, and I think that's the beauty of what you're doing with this podcast and even having conversations like this, because I think that you do have a very diverse audience that is watching, that they're they're watching and they're listening, and that at one point may not have been able to relate to some of the struggles that are just common for you on a daily basis, and then they can relate to it based on your platform. So I just want to say that I think it's really awesome what you're doing, because I think that these are the conversations that also need to happen to start to begin to shift.
0: Thank you. I I agree. Thank you. I agree. Let me ask you, because before we move off this point, um, as attorneys, I'm going to let you all have have some room to run on this one. Because I know somebody who's going to be listening is going to want to have an answer to this question. If they're pulled over, what are your rights? If you're pulled over and they want to search your car, what are your rights? And I'll, 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 I'll start with giving deference to Madam State Attorney. Yeah, I'm going to throw this one
2: to Alicia because I can't give legal advice. Oh, okay, (laughs) that's fair. I mean,
1: with the the specific question of can an an officer search a car, I will say that absent consent or probable cause, no, an officer cannot search your car. And so if you are pulled over and uh, there is not probable cause to search your car and you are asked, may I search your car, you have the right to say no.
0: What does... But
1: will they? Yeah, there we go. But
0: that's, what what does probable cause look like? What is that?
1: Well, in ninety nine percent of my police reports, it's odor of cannabis.
0: Okay, <laughs> so, odor of cannabis. That's all. Yeah. That's all. That's all it, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. All right. So what about?
1: Hopefully, that'll change soon.
0: What about consent? What does consent look like? Is it ex, is it explicit? Is it implied? What does that look like?
1: Well, consent should yeah. Well, it should be explicit consent. Yes, you can search my car, um, but. Uh, because I've been doing this for a long time, oftentimes the consent is, officers said that they had consent. My clients say I never gave them permission. Miss Adamson, you know I would never give permission. You told me. You told me to not let people search my car. I said no, and they searched it anyway. I will say that body cams have alleviated a lot of this discrepancy um, because now we can, you know, pull the tape. But, yeah, um, it's... It should be explicit, but oftentimes there are differentiate. There, there are two different stories between my clients and law enforcement officers.
0: Okay, so I'm going to toss something to you, Monique. Maybe you can't answer this. I don't know. This is how we do podcast. We're just kind of you know going through it. Hey, if I can, I'll tell you. Right. Um, as the new state attorney, what, how is what is your view on probable cause? Probable cause cases involving well i guess not probable cause cases i guess as understanding the texture of you being a black woman a black an attorney like how do you process these cases now because you just got into this role like what is your thought process behind that
2: well you know i think that the fact that i spent my career as a defense attorney i'm well aware of the things that Alicia just spoke of. Okay. I'm well aware of the client who says, I never gave permission, but yet we still have a car that was searched. Mm-hmm. So I am going to be the one who's going to require my assistant state attorneys to watch that body cam video to validate when there is You know a testimony that says that there was consent given that consent was actually given and that it was given um explicitly and not just assumed because you know there was some nod or something else that can't be verified that's going to be very important to me so i think that you know where where the benefit of my experience comes in is because i've seen those cases i've seen those cases where you know we searched a vehicle and whether or not there was consent to search that vehicle or probable cause to search that vehicle is questionable. Right.
1: And and I think just to turn it back to the, to the movie, I think that the the problem is, is even when there's not consent, uh, oftentimes you see officers then create the probable cause. Um, Or in the, in the case that of this movie, a reasonable suspicion to stop a, a vehicle. And so, You've got these officers who, this in this case, he's like, literally, this is what I was trained to do. There's a car in a neighborhood that looks like it doesn't belong there. I'm going to say they were speeding.
0: So let's actually play that scene. Hold on. I, th- I think I have that queued up. Hold on, let's see. I might, let's see. Why well, couldn't you have just complied? And none of you ever complied. You we are fucking tired. We are tired of being stalked and intimidated and getting our asses kicked whenever you feel and like. And that it.
2: attitude is why that shit happens. If y'all just took a second to think.
0: Though well, maybe you'd avoid all that shit. If all of you took a second to think, then maybe you wouldn't kill so many of us. I
2: didn't mean to kill your son. what you did. I did what I was trained to do. There was a threat and I was, I was scared. Which we're trained to, we're trained to go home. That's the. No, I, I, I have a kid at home, too. But I, I am a human being just like anybody else. You know, every, every day I, I, go, I go to work and I, I want to go home to my kid. I want to see my son. I, I had a split second to decide whether you were going to attack my partner or your kid was going was gonna to reach for his gun. I didn't want to get shot. I wanted to go home. He wanted to go home,
0: too. That was a great scene. What, to your point, what what were your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, it 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 still makes me sick because it literally addresses like the systemic issues that we have. And it's yes, I understand that you want to go to go home to your son. So because you want to go home to your son, let me racially profile people because that's what makes me safe. And that's the that's the problem. And so he's just Well, no,
2: I I think what he was getting at there was that because he wanted to go home that he was going to make sure that there was no threat that got in the way of him going home. So I think this is after the racial profiling. I think that the racial profiling did come out of that scene. But I think that what he was getting at there was his fear. And a lot of times that you'll hear this is that, you know, officers who make traffic stops are, you know, in fear for their safety. So a lot of times when you see that officer come up to the car and they have their hand on their gun, you, you know, say, well, was that necessary for a traffic stop? And you'll hear a lot that they're in fear for their safety. And a lot of times when these traffic stops go bad and someone unarmed ends up, you know, shot, they will say that they were in fear. And I think that's what he was talking about here, that he was, He didn't know if your kid was going to pull his gun, right? Now, the fact that there wasn't a gun, of course, is an issue here. But that was his, I didn't know if what you were going to do to my partner, I didn't know if your kid was going to pull his gun. Now, whether or not that fear is a realistic fear that's based on something is something completely different. But what he was talking about was his fear that he wasn't going to get to go home.
1: And and how many times in these cases in real life do we hear that these officers feared for their lives? And this is where judges, this is where jurors come into play. Because Monique, you just said, was it reasonable? Well, you asked me, was it reasonable? Absolutely not. You have a a man that's literally screaming my son is 14 years old he has a cell phone there is not a reasonable fear that 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 officer should have been in but you ask some other people that watch that scene and they're like heck yeah I would have been scared for my life too you know and so I think that that's where it comes to being able to relate to the people who you're casting judgment on whether you be a juror or a judge comes into play because these judges that makes th- make these decisions on motions to dismiss or stand your ground motions, these judges who make or these jurors who make decisions on whether or not a case goes forward, and even prosecutors, you know, um, who make these charging decisions, can they relate to that fear?
0: So it's interesting. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, no, I was just going to say, and, and you know, that I was going to mention stand your ground because the reasonableness and the factor when anyone says that they're in fear for their safety, is that fear reasonable, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You were in fear for your safety. Why? What did that individual do to make you fear for your safety and reasonableness Mm -hmm. really is subjective. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, You know, it's interesting. I was thinking as you guys were talking, I was thinking about. Um, the concept of the fear of the black man, right? And he says, "My son is fourteen, but it, like it doesn't really matter if you know you have an idea of black bodies being, um, you know, there's the whole concept of black bodies being looking older than what they are, right? They they treat uh, black black boys as being, yeah, they might be thirteen, fourteen, but he looks like a grown man, right? Mm-hmm. Or they treat black women." Black girls, and they over-sexualize them at a young age, right? It's like aging them up in order to fit a construct in their mind. And, and so he, he's, in his, the father's mind, he's like, he's only 14 years old. He's, just, he's still a baby. Mm-hmm. In an office of mind, like, he's a grown man to me, mm-hmm. you know? And that is the danger in, you're right, not having a, I guess, an understanding or understand uh, uh, a, I guess, What's the best word? Uh, uh,
1: Being able to relate. Relate. Now.
0: Relate to the people you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, as that scene was happening, I thought there was an officer in Sacramento from where I, I, I um, lived for a long t- time. He, he actually, a very similar scene. In real life, he pulled somebody over. Um, for speeding, but he ended up losing his life. And I've thought about that scene because, like, he there's he he's uh, it literally just happened within the last week or so. And it goes into the whole thing of every time the officer said, every time I pull somebody over, I don't know if this is I'm gonna lose my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very real thing in the back of their mind. And I when I saw that death of the officer, and I'm like, God, like that's that is going to stick on the bones of officers who still. Um, are still alive and have to do traffic stops. People are like, I don't want to end up like that guy. I want to go home.
1: Sure, right? But this may sound insensitive, um, but there there is an assumption of risk that you assume when you become a law enforcement officer. Not everyone's built and in, in, in should take that job. Um, but because of that assumption of risk, you, you can't just say, okay, now I'm a law enforcement officer. I am going to act, in my opinion, irrationally because I want to go home and see my son. Facts. Um, so that's where I'm like, okay. I'm sorry. This is your job, you know. And I'm not saying it's your job to g- not make it home, but it's there. It is a dangerous job um, that you decided to take, uh, and 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 I, I mean, I would say that this officer was racist, and I don't think in the movie. Um, and I, and I think that people are like, how? When you know, how how do you just call some of these law enforcement officers racist? Because racism isn't just always like this obnoxious, like. Clear, um, virulent thing. It's passive. It's deep rooted. It's a unconscious bias. It's a. It's. It's. You know, you don't look like you belong here, um, and so I'm going to stop you. Um, it's a si- sense of entitlement that some of these law enforcement officers have, where it's I belong here, you don't, and so I have the authority to make you do things, and you better listen to me or else you or else you die. What do you think, Monique?
2: You know, that's just so loaded. Um, yes, I agree with, you know, with what Alicia says. It, it's it's just, it's so loaded.
0: Yeah. I, you know, the, I'm sorry, go
1: ahead. I am just saying, so how, well, how do we fix it?
0: Well, here's the thing. I, they, you went right into my next question. Every time I talk to an officer, and I have one of my closest friends um, who's still in Sacramento, and he's, a head of a sheriff academy, he's a black man. Head of a sheriff academy, and um, you know he talks about training. And he said every department has different training. There is not uniform training in departments across the country. And he said anytime he sees uh, you know police brutality or whatnot happened, um, it's because they lack training and improper training in the in those academies. And he said in the movie, it's what we were trained to do. Mm-hmm. So, I, I when he said that line, I thought exa- immediately to his statement like, "Oh, it's it's just poor training." He always says that to me. And I'll be, I'll be like seven ways angry about what happened. He's like, "It's just poor it's bad training." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how again, I'm not I don't know how true that is, but it when he said that word, it was very triggering like, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. I, that makes sense. So, I guess the okay. answer would that to be better training, but how do you train out you know, bias and prejudice? Mm-hmm. How do you take that out unless you have targeted um, classes or one, I don't know, to elim- eliminate that. Even to this point, the bar still has to continually do, uh, and I'm talking to Florida bar, has to continually do classes um, to judges about getting rid of their bias in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't know.
2: Well, I think if you know we're saying that judges need that training, then certainly um, law enforcement needs that training as well. Um, You know, I've had the opportunity to speak to the heads of many different law enforcement agencies, and I'll say that I have been pleasantly um, surprised to see that they recognize that diversity training is necessary. The de-escalation training is necessary and um, are making moves towards instituting um, that training in their agencies. There is, a group called ABLE um, at a university up north that's doing nationwide law enforcement training um, on diversity and de-escalation and racial bias training. So, um, you know, I I think it's definitely necessary. I think we have a long way to go before we can get to the place that Alicia asked, well, how do we fix it? Because a lot of it is you know, institutionalized, um, it's historical and there's a lot that has to be undone to get to a place where we don't shoot first and ask questions later, but we actually take the time to see the person on the other end of our gun as a human being.
0: Yeah. So I'm sorry, Alicia. Oh, okay. So I want to jump to an, I think was an interesting scene. It was it was talking about uh, the jury of my peers. Mm-hmm. So hold on, let me just cue that up.
2: This is the captain, the no officers. There are not one officer on the jury. No, these aren't my peers. Welcome to my world.
0: Mm. Well, <laughs> you know, listen.
1: If I can relate to that one,
0: <laughs> listen. That was a bar. You know, I'm gonna say something that you just your first time on this on this uh, program. So I do something when somebody drops a bar. I do this, Monique. Yeah, now listen. That's called motherfucking bar. Oh, <laughs> that was a bar. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bar. <laughs> I thought, like, that was a mic drop for me.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I just think it's a position that we've all been in. If you've ever picked a jury for a client and your client is literally looking at you like, these are not my
0: peers. <laughs> these are not my peers. I'm like,
1: yeah, tell me about it. Um, but it, it Yeah,
2: was- but at the same time, as a defense attorney,
0: I mean, we have to acknowledge the fact that... No, we, you're not a defense attorney anymore. Stop that.
2: <laughs> you're on the other side, ma'am. Well, when I say we, I'm not talking about defense attorneys right now. I'm talking okay. about as a community. Okay. But as a defense attorney, you have to acknowledge the fact that the community doesn't always show up for jury duty. Mm. So mm. it's... It's great for us to sit here and say the system's stacked and there isn't a jury of our peers. And and yes, I see that. I agree with that. But when we're busy dodging jury duty, no, we're never going to get a jury of our peers because we don't want to come to jury duty.
1: And this hasn't happened in a while because I'm notorious for like literally going crazy on people. But when I first became an attorney, one of the most frequent calls I got was, hey, Alicia, I just got this jury summons. How do I get out of it?
2: And Mm who did
1: they regret that call when it was over? Um, Yeah. Because it's so many times these same people are complaining about the jury not looking like them, not reflecting them, not being able to relate to them. And then it's, have you ever dodged a jury? Have you ever tried to get out of jury duty? Have you ever not shown up? Mm -hmm. And that's why, because you want to know who is coming to jury duty? Mm -hmm. Y'all already know.
0: Yeah. And yeah. they'd be ready for jury duty. I brought my book. I'm have my. I'm ready to go. And they'd be like, yeah, they that would be the scariest part about picking a jury. When they're like super excited.
1: My, I always start my question when, I, when I'm picking, just to like loosen up the crowd. I'm like, who all is excited to be here? You know, and, and every single time at least one person raises their hand yeah, like, like, me! Yeah, yeah, I'm like,
0: oh.
2: And
1: most people aren't. Even if you come, you're still not like excited. You're kind of like.
2: Yeah, but really taking it seriously as a civic duty because we can't complain about a problem that's within our hands to fix, but yet we're too busy. We don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. We have something else that we need to do. We can't miss work. Mm -hmm. Um, It's boring. We don't want to be there. No, that's your responsibility. Yes, and
1: to that point, showing up is is is, is not enough either. Because some people come, and I'll be like, "Wow, this is going to be a great juror," and then they'll literally be like, "I can't really be here because I have you know whatever to do," and I'm like, "Come
0: on!" So you know, can <sighs> can I talk so about frustrating? Like what I look for in a juror? Do you, you want to have the, you you comfortable with that conversation, Alicia?
1: I mean, I mean, it's your podcast. Yeah, it's your yeah. podcast. No, I'm just saying, I didn't know. Like, no, it's <laughs> Talk about it's, whatever you want <laughs> it's, it's a style,
0: right? So, like, when I go through and I'm doing voidar, vo- 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 voidir, right? And and I'm and, and I'm going through questions. I look for those who have an independent mind, right? I look for those who, um, yes, education level is important, but also hum- um, emotional intelligence is important, right? I look for those who have life experiences. Like, what are their life experiences? Um, and then I go through a whole thing of, I have, I have a spiel, and I haven't done jury trials in such a long time. Shout out to COVID. Uh, <laughs> that I have a spiel where I like to say, I go through movies, and I say, you know what? I ask everybody, what's everybody's favorite movie? And, they, you know, and I said, well, my favorite movie is, and I just say, The Godfather. I say, you know why I love The Godfather? And they say, why? Well, and I say, because the story makes sense. And I said, guess what? Art imitates life. Trial, the story has to make sense. Things have to be congruent. Things have to have to align uh, up. And when the story doesn't make sense, that in itself is makes makes the case insufficient. You don't have to fill in the gaps of a of a story. Because if you if you have to fill in the gaps of a story, then that's a problem. And, and I and i and i go through a process with them and i always and i and as the trial goes on i always drop in lines of okay well that does that make sense and it's it's a cue it's, it's for me it's a cue card for them to say okay that isn't that story's not adding up so that's my process okay. what is your process do you want to go through your process
1: i don't want to go through my process but it really <laughs> depends on the case i mean okay. I, I, but yeah i don't i mean that where we are yeah see what time it is, but um, yeah, that would take a long time.
0: Okay. Well, I, that's how I I operate. Um, All right. So one of the things I did want to ask you because we're getting close to the time here is as a black woman and raising black sons, what was your takeaway from everything? Like, how did you feel regarding this entire movie, like take away from the, take away the legal hat here. Like, what did you, what was your pull? pull?
2: I mean, for me, it just makes me wanna lock my kids in a box away from society. It, It reinforced for me that my children are not safe, not because of the neighborhood that we live in, not because they're doing anything wrong, but just simply because of who they were born that they are not safe. And that as a mom is terrifying for me, raising three black sons. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can totally relate to that. I have very, some, I don't have three black sons, but um, I have one. Uh, And yes, all of those feelings um, I share. Uh, But with in, in life I always try to find like okay what's a positive takeaway like where like where can we grow from this where can we learn from this and I and I think that p- conversations like this um, i uh, I appreciate m- movies like this that can foster these types of conversations what I thought was beautiful about this movie it, it was I mean it was art and I do think that art imitates life it was almost like a p- play almost when the the, the whole um, second half of the movie where they were doing the trial. Um, but I think that it it did a a good job um of kind of helping people to be able to relate to all the people in the in that were cast in this play, from the inmates to the father to the officers, um, to even like when they were deliberating. Um, even with all of that, you you know, you've got some people that would listen to that and like it's like duh obviously guilty. And then it's just very reflective of our world right now. And then you have some people that watch that and they're like, obviously not guilty, you know? And so it's almost like, how do people think so differently? But they do. Um, And so being able to, I hope that not just black people watch this movie um, and, you know, can have conversations. So at least we can begin to start relating to, like, people that may not look like us and may not go through similar experiences than us and can, you know, start to break down this these systemic racist barriers and this these, these biases that people don't even realize that they have.
0: Okay. Oh, we didn't talk about the, the movie End, right? What were your thoughts? I know, Monique, you probably had some very particular thoughts you, you mentioned prior to the podcast.
2: Yeah. So the thing about the ending that really, um, I found disturbing was that, you know, it was obvious that he did all of this to prove a point that he never intended to hurt anyone. He let everyone go. Everyone's leaving. He's coming out with his hands up and they killed him. Mm -hmm. And, It was disturbing to me for a couple of reasons. One, because he had his hands up, so he surrendered. Why was it necessary uh, for him to die? But two, what message does that send to any other individual in the future who holds hostages, who is in a situation where they can either come out peacefully and surrender themselves or they can come out fighting putting more people in danger putting the lives of the officers in danger what does that what message does it send to them and i just think it's really important because we've all seen cases where individuals have surrendered and they've been harmed by law enforcement when being taken into custody and i just think that we have to uh, be very careful because we put the lives of future individuals in danger uh, because people will be less likely to peacefully surrender if they believe they're going to be harmed.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I said in the first part one, I thought the intention, he went in there with the idea he was going to die. And I, I, I explained that in, in the first part. I said he went in He knew. He was going to die mm-hmm. in this film. Um, everything came to a resounding close um, in his mind. Mm-hmm. This is hence why he everything was intentional. From him wearing the only one wearing a hat, and he wore a red hat because he's a military person. So he knew that he was going to be identified. He he didn't go front in the line. He went. He let everybody go in front of him because I'm going to be the last person. I think he he expect he took off a vest. He took he went out there with the intention of the finality of it. I don't think he intended he knew and again, this is my opinion of the character. I don't think he knew that um he was going to necessarily see a trial not the, with the way how it with the uh you know the audacity to stick up a police department
2: I would disagree with that okay. um and and there's one there's one thing that he said that why well, I would disagree. Okay. As it was all coming to an end, and he was speaking to, um, I want to call him Ghost, but his name is a Ghost in this movie. Amar <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he said, I'm going to do whatever time they give me. Mm-hmm. That's true. He said, I'm going to go do whatever time they give me. He was like, you know, I got what I came for. I'm going to do whatever time they give me. So I don't know that he necessarily believed he was going to die, but whether he did or he didn't really isn't my point. Right. Did he have to?
0: Mm-hmm. No. No, and I'm not I you don't want him you, you, I don't I don't he shouldn't have have died. He shouldn't have admitted that situation in the first place. Right? Um but to your point you agree like what message does it send to those who might be in that situation like okay, well I'm this is going to end in you know, tragedy, so I might as well go out in a burning flame.
1: There's there's a line from Jay-Z's song, uh, The Story of O.J., where it's like, I don't want to say the N-word, but okay. he's like still yeah, N-I-G-G-A. It's like just a reminder. Yeah. We will st- still kill you. Yeah. And that's just... It was for me. It was just like a gut punch. It was like this. This. This movie took me on such an emotional roller coaster, and with all the trauma, with all the sadness, with all the drama, it still I was like, wow, it's gonna kind of sort of have a happy ending, Is, and then it was like, nah, no, just but, just a reminder,
0: right? And so the thought process too, and I, I talked with somebody about this. The the problem they had with the ending was, you know. What we didn't get to see the what happens once they receive the footage, because the filmmaker goes on to, you know, show you know, he's he's printing out CDs and he's uh, and, and, and the implication is going he's going to disseminate this to uh, to the public.
1: I mean, this is this is what's happening. This podcast.
0: No, but I'm talking about like in the film. You wanted to see like in that world. Uh, it how, is
1: this world. We are here. It is. That's happening. true. That's true. <laughs>
0: Welcome. Right, but you know. I, I guess to that person's point, they were saying that they wanted to see in that, like, it, like it's shown that he was not a, he was not, a, um, uh, uh, the narrative that he had right. Islam or, and that he, mental health and all that. It was like, no, we wanted to see that, okay, yeah, there, there was a problem. And he wanted to see, like, spend another 30 minutes just showing the after effects of the film, of showing the after effects of what, the causality of what happened. To your point, Monique, what is the cause and effect, right? In real life, what is the cause and effect? He wanted to see the cause and effect of what happened once that information went out to the public. I think that was. it. I don't know if the film should have covered that, but I don't know.
1: I mean, the, I, the film has to end at some point, but I think it's. I think it's just the continuation of the conversation, and I think and I'm glad that Monique brought that that point up about the end of the film because it's just another. Like, can we talk about that, that that was wrong, too? Can we acknowledge that? Because I would imagine that there are some people that would defend it and be like, he's got to die. It's like, does he? Yeah. No. No. Great. Like, let's talk about that, too. That's problematic. Mm
0: -hmm. It's problematic that she would even think that, that he has to die, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, there's an issue with that. So, listen, I know you guys, I'm dealing with some busy women, and I really do appreciate them taking out the time to uh, jump on this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed part two for the listeners. Listen, we're not going to do this with every movie, but I felt like this movie deserved a two-part analysis um, on a number of different perspectives. I hope you guys, uh, you know, were, received everything. I know I learned something, and uh, do you guys want to offer any final words before we ride out? Monique, I'll start with you. Um, You know, maybe next time pick a
2: happy movie. Uh,
0: it'll be fun. I will <laughs> Jeez, okay. you know yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what yeah. about what about you
1: no I, I just i I just appreciate um this conversation I appreciate you um allowing me to to speak on your podcast and uh, I'm just i'm really proud of you kamara so woohoo
0: well first of all i I had to have you on my podcast because i you were dinging me for not having you on before your husband. so it's kind of messed up. I'm still a little salty. Yeah, I know. Whatever. I know. So I'd probably owe you like four or five more podcasts in order to balance out the one that your husband's on. Although everybody loved your husband's podcast, Mm -hmm. by the way. (laughs) So
1: this one better get more views.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Everybody, please share this podcast. Everybody subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And thank you. And if you haven't done so already, please go to KamaraWilliams.com. We have content. I have also released the poem that i did in the first podcast uh first part one called black bodies and it just has content for everything regarding uh my blogs that are accompanying movie or just blogs that's going on in the country and we have some content on there from previous uh, podcasts so thank you all for listening thank you all for subscribing if you have if you've already done so and guess what we're gonna write out and thank you for our guests so we're out